You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Dr. Shanil Ibrahim. He is a partner at Deloitte, leading the Canadian life science and healthcare consulting business. Prior to that, he was a clinical epidemiologist in Canada and in the U.S., and he has spent 20 years in the healthcare ecosystem, working as a senior advisor in both the public and private sectors. Shanil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. It's such a pleasure to be on your podcast. Now, tell us a fun fact about you. What's a little something that's going to make us say, really? No way. Uh, so a lot of people are privy to my professional roles, but what some may not know about me is that I'm a big mixed martial arts enthusiast. So right now, I primarily watch combat sports, but at one point, I used to train diligently in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, and amateur wrestling. And at one point, I was competing as well across a lot of the martial arts. But nowadays, I just spectate and just wrestle with my two sons. (laughs) And who wins in those wrestling matches? Usually my older one. (laughs) Uh, He's very competitive. Got it. Got it. Sounds like he takes after dad. Well, I know not to make you too angry on this show. I would like to keep all of my bones intact. So we're just gonna have a nice conversation and have a little bit of fun as we go. Thank you for joining today. Tell us a little bit more about your work. Tell us about Deloitte. What's your 30 second elevator pitch? Uh, Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a partner at Deloitte and I lead our national life sciences and healthcare consulting business in Canada. And for listeners who may be unaware, Deloitte is the largest global professional services firm that provides services in consulting, audit, tax, financial services, and risk advisory. So globally, we employ more than 400,000 people and in Canada, just over 14,000 people. So in my role, I oversee 19 groups in healthcare and life sciences consulting that span across strategy, operations, health AI, digital health, health technology, health human capital. And what we're quite proud to be is a purpose-driven organization where in healthcare specifically, our purpose is to make the health and lives of Canadians better and our society and economy stronger. And we do that by partnering with our clients in the healthcare ecosystem on major transformations to improve the lives of Canadians. You've been in this area now for 20 years. How did you shift from actually practicing to the consulting space? What was that pivot decision? Yeah, so the pivot that I had It was when I was in the U.S. So a lot of the work that I was doing was in clinical epidemiology and as a researcher working within the academic university as well as the hospital sector. In the U.S., I was living in Palo Alto and at Stanford, they have a great integration of business, hospital, as well as the research sectors. And through that, I started doing some independent consulting for a lot of startups and some major organizations as well. I loved doing consulting because I was much closer to the problem and I started seeing a lot of the solutions that I was implementing being readily adapted within the organization. So as much as I love research, I knew the time to impact was much, much greater. So I started doing more and more independent consulting. But the reason I joined a firm is a firm generally works on the most complex problems within an organization. And 
if you want to be closer to the most complex problems, aligning yourself with a firm is a great way to be able to do it. And right now, for the last eight and a half years, I've been at Deloitte. I've worked on some of the most complex problems across the ecosystem. And that gives me a pretty unique vantage point around what's happening within the healthcare system, but not only in just in Canada, but also globally. I think in career decisions and progressions and visions, a lot of people make that shift upward and sometimes deliberately and sometimes by surprise realize that part of what we loved about going into, you know, my world was education, yours was healthcare. Then we move up into the, the more consulting roles, but it's, we have to let go of the actual hands-on patient or student contact for the most part, which for me was a hard thing to let go of. Of course, I still get to do a lot of teaching just in a different format, but the intention is to be able to make a bigger difference in some ways on a larger scale by tackling those problems, by being able to see the systemic issues involved and the excitement about being able to do something about it. Does that sound right to you? Absolutely. I was just having a conversation yesterday with a pretty prolific researcher in uh, senior care. And one of the things that she was sharing was, I'm actually quite successful in this area, but I feel like I've been making the same sort of impact on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And I've been dabbling a little bit into other areas, whether it is teaching, whether it's consulting, but primarily my job is still as a researcher. And I gave a little bit about my journey as well, where I decided to leave research, and I didn't fully leave research completely, but I decided to take a big plunge when I felt things were going really well. Because I looked at it as a way as, it is my crutch, it's my safety net, that I can always come back to this. And what's the worst that can happen, Laura? You go away for a year, if you don't like it, you have a lot of other opportunities to still go into. So I think this element of risk is usually inflated in our own mind. And typically, we can take away a lot of our experiences. Yes, applying what we know from what we're doing now into something else, that perpetual challenge. There are those who are really driven by the security of what they can do in their sleep. And it's not a judgment one way or another, but I think there are many people who really do aspire to just something different, need to change it up. I think the example you gave of your colleague who feels like, I know I'm making a difference, but it's the same difference over and over, the same impact. It's an important one, but for myself, I need a new inspiration. I need a new challenge. I need to be growing at the same time. So hopefully everybody else out there who's been feeling a little bit itchy in their space, a little bit stuck, maybe take this as an encouragement to explore other opportunities. So thank you for that little opportunity for a PSA out there. Now in doing that, What is something that you wish that more people understood about your role, your company, or your industry? And how do you see your personal role in changing that perception? A common misconception about my company is that Deloitte is an audit company. And this stems from our history. So Laura, this goes back to 1845 is where Deloitte was founded. So that's nearly about 180 years ago. And right now, Predominantly, our business is in consulting, where we provide strategic advisory, technology transformations, digital implementations, and doing artificial intelligence. And this type of work accounts for 70% of our business. But our history is very strong that you automatically think of me as an auditor when I mention that I am partner at Deloitte, where in reality, I spend all my time partnering with clients on the largest healthcare transformations, whether it's government or with a pharmaceutical company or with a pharmacy or a lab or a diagnostic company, for example. Now, the reason I bring this misconception up is 
as a layperson who may not be aware of Deloitte's impact on the ecosystem, it is actually quite unfortunate when I think about their impact being buried a bit because there's about 500,000 people in our organizations entirely working with leading organizations to help them realize and achieve their mission. And this involves advancing very complex initiatives, which is why we're called to partner with them in the first place. But the reality is, in the past, we probably didn't care too much about it because we don't work for a recognition. We're not always going to be in the news. We consider ourselves to be the enablers of these initiatives, working in the backgrounds to propel our clients to excel. Now, things have been changing and our CEO in Canada, Anthony Vale, made a great point to partners just this past June in a partner conference around it's important to be able to get our messages out. And the reason is because we need to let our wider ecosystem and citizens know what we do. For one, we need to be more transparent just about the work, the outcomes, because it builds trust with our community. The second is, I believe everyone, whether you're a big organizations or you're an individual, whether it's yourself, Laura, it's me or it's others, we need to always think about how do we demonstrate our value. And it needs to be very clear because if people are buying services from us or hiring us in some capacity, we need to be able to show what value that we provide. And the third is really around the strength of our reputation. It makes it attractive for future clients, but also new talent that we're bringing in if they know the type of work that we do. So that's one of the reasons where I can be quite open that I participate in forums like these podcasts or conferences or webinars because it allows us to advance and socialize the mission of our own organization and not just the mission of our client's organization. It's such a great case study, if I can use that phrase, because I've pounded the drum a lot and I'm really glad to hear other people, especially in roles like yours, come out. You know, you're not the quote unquote the comms person. You're not in the marketing department. You were a clinician, you were a researcher, and now you're in consulting and you're doing these. So the branding piece is not something that was probably part of the job description when you took it on. It wasn't in the contract. It wasn't in the daily task to-dos. And yet there's direct relevance about why even someone like you, a partner with your roles and in your area, would still find it valuable for yourself and why the company would encourage you and support you in taking opportunities like this one. You know, this is not a, a consulting podcast. This is not a business podcast or a finance podcast or a healthcare podcast. It's about leadership. It's about communication. So it is relevant, but the whole point is this should be a win-win. You get to get your message out. You get to educate people about the organization. You get known as an independent expert in your own right at that point, and the rest of the world gets to learn more. They get to learn from that experience. So being able to peel back the curtain a little bit and look a little bit more metacognitively, so to speak, you know, more sort of outside of the body, looking in on this conversation and saying, okay, what's actually happening here? What does this provide? I really want everybody else out there to recognize this is a branding discussion. And you, whoever you are out there, all of our listeners, we want everybody else to recognize the importance of identifying your own brands. Deloitte was trying to shift its brand as being recognized as more widely encompassing a much wider variety of services. We bring in people like Chenille, who have these incredible experiences there, and he's got his own brand, both as an individual and as a partner. And out there, everybody, what is your brand and why would coming on a show like this or any other 
platform like that allow you and the organization to benefit from that exposure. So take this example, I'm going to get off my soapbox in a second, but it was just such a perfect case study that you offered, Chanel, as far as why people need to recognize value in this. It's not just about tooting your own horn. It's not just about wanting the spotlight. There's so much win, win, win value in all of this. So, all right, I'll turn it back over to you. Any thoughts on that? I love how you phrase that as well. We truly are not all trained in marketing or communications or how do we demonstrate our brand. And this is so important today because irrespective of if you are a major organization or you're a startup or you are an individual just coming out of undergrad, every single person needs to be able to demonstrate their value proposition and be able to do that in a clear and concise manner. If we cannot demonstrate our value and be able to demonstrate our brand, then they will look to the next person who can. So communication, socialization, being able to elevate yourself is important. And I do feel in the past that was a dirty word sometimes for certain people because people found it a bit salesy. But I think we have to get really past that hump because this is important for us to be able to advance our mission, whether it's an organization mission or it's an individual mission as well. Yes. I think there's so much misconception. I'm glad you used that term salesy. The idea of getting out there and talking about the company and letting people know what's... You're not... This is not snake oil. This is not, you know, the proverbial kind of slimy used car salesman kind of a thing. It's not just trying to get you to buy something you don't need. It's like, it's saying, no, if there's a service, there's a value here and somebody out there needs it and doesn't know where to find it. So allow me to let people know that it exists. And even if there, it's not about looking for the kinds of services that Deloitte happens to have in this particular context, the ability to identify what your brand is and keep working on it, keep revising it, that that's huge to recognize that there was a limited understanding of Deloitte's brand. And Deloitte was saying, no, look, there's so much more that we do. We need to start educating the population. I'm in the process of undergoing, frankly, a, a huge branding or rebrand initiative as well, recognizing that the company named Vocal Impact Productions has been a little bit misleading. People will say, oh, Laura's the voice coach or oh, she they do voice training. And yeah, I mean, that's a part of it. But leadership communication and influence is not the same as training you in singing, which trust me, you don't want me to do. That would just be ugly. No one would be happy with that. They would turn off the podcast most definitely. But everybody out there, I challenge you, think about what is your brand as an individual and as an organization and take Chenille's example and Deloitte's example and see how to work together to make it a win-win-win for you and everybody else out there. Love where this is going. And I love the idea that this is a challenge. So let's shift right into a more direct challenge, the listener 24-hour influence challenge. Chenille, this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today as if we haven't already just done that? So I'm going to sound like a true consultant when I say that. (laughs) I love it. So do you know about a SWOT analysis? I do, but go ahead and give the acronym for everybody else just in case. Okay. So SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's a universal framework that we use in consulting and any big organization uses it to analyze what are their internal strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are external opportunities, and what are threats that they need to be able to navigate. Mm -hmm. Now, this helps them plan on how they overcome challenges and determine what are the areas they want to pursue in terms of opportunity. Now, what I would urge everyone in the next 24 hours is do a personal SWOT analysis. 
Do a personal analysis of what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what are the opportunities, and what are the threats that you're putting on yourself? It's going to help identify areas of personal growth and strategies for better influence. So when it comes to strengths, think about what do you excel at? What do others see as your strengths, for example? Weakness is the same thing. Where do you struggle? What criticism do you often receive? You typically do that when you're a little bit more introspective and reflect on yourself. But think about opportunities. So is there a need in your organization where you can address? Are there areas where you can be influential or step up in terms of being a leader? And in threats, it's what obstacles do you currently face, whether they're real or perceived? Are there competitors? And I use competitors not as organization competitors, colleagues, individuals, siblings. They could be considered threats in terms of what you're trying to do. And what are the changes in your professional or personal environment that you can make to navigate these type of threats? And I feel like just like an organization uses these different boxes to be able to figure out what is a plan that they need to make in the future, a personal SWOT can help you do the same things and uncover things that you can figure out are these things that are getting in the way of me being more influential, trying to be a better leader, whatever it is that you're trying to actually get better at as well. So that's what I would challenge everyone to do. That's fascinating. And I appreciate the way you framed the threats, because I think people may get stuck on thinking, you know, what what do you mean a threat to me? And in what we just were describing a few minutes ago, as far as looking at new job opportunities or branding and thinking, where do I go from here? I'm willing to bet that a lot of people will get stuck on the notion that if I do this, if I put myself out there, if I go on a podcast, if I apply for a job, if I try to open a business, if I try to do these things, what will people think? Will people think, oh, she's so full of herself. Oh, she just wants everybody to do this. Or they'll think she's bigger than her britches. Or he'll be afraid he's going to, they'll all think, well, you can't do that. They'll tell me I can't. They'll tell, and we have so much of those naysayers and our own little internal critics who can be by far the worst voices in our heads that that's quite an interesting category of a threat out there. So what they actually might say or what we are afraid they might say, and thus we'll just not do it because we don't even want to engage or invite the potential for that kind of criticism. So I love that analysis, the, the real introspection that it requires. Any final thoughts on that? I think you captured it really well, right? When you put these together, strengths, leverage them. Weaknesses, find ways to improve them. Opportunities, take proactive steps to seize on them. Threats, develop mitigation strategies, right? There's different ways that you can end up actioning on it. And I do feel that I look at these type of things regularly myself, and it has helped in terms of how I navigate my own goals and leverage my own strengths as well. And this kind of comes back to the brand and value proposition conversation we're having earlier as well. I would encourage everybody to write this down. I think a lot of people, maybe they're in the car as they're listening right now or out for a run, walking the dog or something. So they'll be thinking about it and may continue to think about it in bits and pieces, but take 10 minutes and just start the four little lists of that SWOT analysis. Put it on paper. My guess is that when you start to see it manifesting in writing in front of you, it'll trigger a whole different level of rabbit hole thoughts that will be really interesting if you choose to explore them. So I love this 24-hour challenge. Thank you for that, Chenille. Now, is there a time that when you thought you did a really great job of explaining something only to have the listener look at you like a deer in the headlights? What happened? Laura, there's probably way too many examples of this over my career. In consulting, we often find it's a fine balance 
between showcasing your expertise and ensuring clarity. So for me, there's one example that really stands out. About a couple of years ago, I led a team in putting together a five-year strategy for a leading pharmacy organization. And I brought in a lot of key global leaders who are true subject matter experts in this area. And we immersed ourselves in, you know, research, analysis, scenario planning on what the pharmacy's world would look like and how they can differentiate themselves. So really coming back to that value proposition in terms of the steps they need to take in enabling themselves to be a differentiator in the ecosystem. As we detailed out the recommendations, I started using terms that are common lexicons in consulting or what we call internally as consulting speak. So we started using words like market differentiators, next-gen offerings, moving beyond stabilizing the core. And as we worked through this project and put together the final strategy document, the room was buzzing with energy, a lot of excitement to move forward. And when we started moving into next steps, there was much more of a quiet contemplation. Mm. So we saw it as there was a lot in the organizations to digest, and they're now worrying about how to get things done. So that's what I took away as, you know what, a lot for them to take away, give it a little bit of time, and they will be able to get themselves immersed into the material. It wasn't until the CEO of the organization called me afterward with just candid feedback. She mentioned, I appreciated the depth of the work and there was a lot of value in terms of what you were able to uncover. But her being a former consultant herself, she mentioned that the teams were trying to make sense of the strategy. And unfortunately, they were in the midst of untangling all the layers of jargon which obscured the actionable steps. And in her words, she mentioned, I love the strategic foresight, but you need to dumb it down for my team and help them understand how they can actually move forward. So for me, this emphasized the importance of tailoring communication to the audience and making communication accessible. It's not about sounding smart so that we can articulate the brilliance of our strategy. It's truly understanding that the most effective strategy is one that can be understood and could be executed for those that it's intended for. And now I mentioned this to all my consultants when I start a project around the importance of being clear, concise, and in a language that can be understood in their shoes as well. That's one example that really, really stands out for me. And it's a perfect example because I think that's something that so many of us do consciously and unconsciously, I think for two reasons. Number one, often we'll use all of that jargon because we're so used to it. We're stuck in the expert's curse. We forget that not everybody swallowed the same acronym dictionary that we did. Everybody else's industry has their own alphabet soup of sorts. And we forget that it's not as transparent as we'd like it to be. And then on the other side, I think there are times when we try to use as much jargon and techno babble as possible because part of us has a little insecurity that we're covering, hoping if I just use a lot of really big polysyllabic words all at once, I will sound smart and then people won't know where I have some potential imperfections or lack in confidence or expertise in a particular area. I will cover myself well. And if anything, it's just makes people stare at you at the best. They give you the blank look at worst. They go, could you translate that? Okay. Now we see that you have no idea what you're talking about because you're snowing us with SAT vocabulary. How about you just translate that into something that we can actually use. Wouldn't that be nice? So uh, the jig is up, everybody. Let's use plain speak on that. Absolutely. And when I was moving up in my career, 
there were certain times where I started to sound smart and I did get some feedback from CEOs in the most respectful way to say, Shanil, I don't have a PhD. You really got to dumb it down for me. And that was just a very nice way for them to just say, I don't understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> and it helped me think around how am I phrasing my messages and communicating it? Because if they don't understand it, that means they can't action on it. And that means we were not able to provide the value that we set out to do in the first place. And if strategy is going to be put on the shelf, we have not done our job. Yes, exactly. It's got to be actionable one way or another. That's a great litmus test. If it's not actionable, we haven't done our job. You used a phrase that in the right place is super useful and in the wrong place, I think, can be limiting for a lot of people. And that's the notion of dumbing it down to the extent that when your CEOs in those contexts were in the position of power and they wanted to soften some constructive feedback so that you didn't feel really shut down or embarrassed for them to say kind of tongue in cheek, you know, dumb it down for me so I can understand what you're talking about, translate this. They can say that. We have to be careful that when we're talking to our clients or to our audiences that we don't think in terms of, I need to dumb it down for these people because that ends up being one of condescension. That ends up being one of feeling like no one wants to feel talked down to or dumbed down to. So it's really about my favorite alternative version of that is from Einstein, who I think we can all agree is a pretty smart guy who said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Absolutely. I love that. This is a great way to be able to sum it up this, how important it is to be simple in terms of our messages, but it doesn't mean it's condescending. It's just a way to be able to communicate more effectively. Yes. If you don't know what your own point is where you can say it in that simple way, how is anybody else supposed to figure it out? So great food for thought. Thank you for that. When was there a time that you needed to assert yourself powerfully? Laura, I must admit that when you mentioned that you may ask me a question about power, I initially hesitated. I was actually going to ask you to next any question related to power but I started reflecting this myself in terms of why does this bother me so much? And so mm -hmm. I'm going to share some of my thoughts a little bit more openly. Okay. The idea of power sometimes carries a negative connotation, especially mm -hmm. for me. And in a position of power, as in a partner of a large global firm, wielding or asserting power, to use your words, felt like a responsibility that could easily be misused. Mm. And when I was starting to reflect, I was thinking about a lot of the books that I ended up reading and I thought to scholars like Jeffrey Pfeffer, who talks about power at length in his books, he spoke of power not as dominance, but as a form of self-expression. So it allows you to be true to yourself, allows you to disinhibit yourself. It allows you to use a platform in a way that's aligned to your own personal values. And sometimes you notice that people end up using power not for good. Mm. And sometimes it's aligned to their personal values. They wanted to use it in a different way. And for some people, they can actually use it for a platform for good. And for me, power was just that. It became a platform, an opportunity for me to speak out on issues that matter to me. And one clear example of that was around diversity, inclusion, equity. Topics I never spoke about openly at least in big forms, I would say, before being a partner, as I didn't know how it was going to be received. Mm. And Laura, just a little bit about my background. I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia, and mm -hmm. I immigrated to North America at a, at a pretty young age. And instead of feeling 
included or integrated, I felt the pressure to assimilate pretty quickly. And I was starting to lose, you know, some bits of my identity in the process when I was young. So as I was climbing the corporate ladder, unfortunately, there were times I was assimilating to what it meant to be a leader. Mm. And when I reached the role of a partner, I realized I had a unique position to speak on some of these matters because I knew other people who were brought up similarly felt in a similar manner. And I'm going to give you a concrete example of where I did speak up on this. And this was just recently where we had a leadership session at Deloitte just two weeks ago with our fellow health leaders. And I found my moment to truly assert myself. We talked about Deloitte, how we're doing a great job in advancing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And we are. We're doing a lot around this area. But one thing I spoke up about and said, Yes, we're advancing it. And yes, we should be proud of the steps we're taking, but we can do so much more. Right now, you know, I emphasize that diversity is more than race or gender. It's about other elements as well, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, neurodiversity, and so much more. And we as leaders have a duty to foster that type of understanding when we work with our talent and respect all these facets of what I call human experience. So coming back to your question, this was my powerful assertion where I probably have struggled to powerfully assert myself, but I feel like power can truly be a platform you can use to champion something that you deeply believe in. I want to remind everyone that you're not an HR person. You're not a DEI consultant. You're not a CHRO or chief people officer or anything like that. You're a partner in Deloitte. You are coming from the clinical, medical, healthcare research space And so it's one thing when people who are the leaders in the HR talk, you know, pound that particular drum, it's kind of expected, which is certainly still important and valuable. We need to heed those messages, but we expect it to come from those channels. When someone from a different kind of technical background, from a different vertical says, "Um, by the way, we need to listen to those HR people. We need to do more about this. People go, wait, you're talking about that? We are supposed to talk about that? That's something we can bring up? That's something we should bring up and think about. And so I want to acknowledge you for stepping up. I'm sure the people in the HR department were doing the happy dance, hearing somebody else besides them talking about that. But I'm sure that felt odd, almost like, am I stepping outside of my role? Am I treading on someone else's toes to be saying this? Or am I going to make other people uncomfortable by stepping outside of what they technically pay me to talk about, so to speak? Absolutely. And I love the fact that you mentioned this isn't an HR job, or this isn't something around a DEI leader. This is everyone's job. And as leaders, and I use leaders loosely, I don't use just leaders as partners in our organization. Everyone is leading a team or managing a team or doing something, and they have responsibilities. And to be able to use that platform in some way, I think is going to be quite important. But we, as partners, need to provide people the space to be able to speak freely and ensure that are we truly including people's voices or they are speaking in a way that could be considered a form of assimilation. Something that I struggle with, you know, as I was moving up the ladder, because I spoke up a lot, but I didn't always speak my mind fully. And I don't mean completely unfiltered, but in a way that I felt there were certain things that was near and dear to my heart that I kept near and dear to my heart. And I think there's an opportunity for us as leaders to be able to speak openly, and it shouldn't be just an HR job or a DNI leader's job. What's an example of something where you didn't 
end up really sharing what it was that was on your heart. You, you kept it close to your chest instead, realizing that now in retrospect that you should have, but you didn't feel comfortable doing it from that kind of inclusion perspective. This touches a little bit on every leader talking about vulnerability. And vulnerability is a pretty hot topic right now. I've always had challenges in being vulnerable. It's a, it's a relatively recent evolution for me. So for me, this again traces back to my early childhood years where when I immigrated and there was a subconscious belief that I lacked safe space to express mm -hmm. vulnerability. So right now I have used this as a platform to be able to share some of my own struggles where people who work with me, they see me as a consistently calm, collected, and seemingly leading a charmed life. And truth be told, I am quite calm and collected, but it's important for me as a leader to mention that there are challenges that I face. And one clear example of that is when I became a father. Mm -hmm. And as you know, Laura, you're a parent yourself, navigating uncharted waters of parenthood, juggling demands of work, supporting my wife, all while doing long hours in a demanding role was incredibly challenging. Something I kept to myself over the years. And over time, I shared these challenges candidly with my team and it opened a floodgates of conversations, particularly among my male colleagues who had similar challenges as a father. And they talked about their own trials, tribulations, and in some case of triumph, where it formed this web of mutual support. And what it highlighted for me is there is a power of vulnerability and it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of just being human and building more meaningful connections. And the better we can understand each other, the more effective our work generally becomes anyways, because we trust each other and we trust that we have each other's back. So that's how this all kind of comes together for me. I, I think that's a beautiful example. And I'm really glad that you distinguished between vulnerability and weakness. They are not perfectly synonymous. There are different implications. There are different connotations and there are different applications. And I think to the extent that someone misconstrues one as being the other, that is going to keep people from, it is going to make them hold back from really sharing themselves and connecting with people, creating the bonds, creating the network, creating the support and a mutual way that we all really need to be able to get through because none of us can do it alone nowadays for, or ever, frankly. I don't know that it was ever something we could do alone, but certainly not today. So on that note, much as it pains me to bring this conversation to a close, I think we need to, but uh, Chanel, is there anything that you would like to invite our audience to do to and how they can learn more about you and Deloitte? Absolutely. First of all, I, I really enjoyed this conversation and would have loved to continue this much more as well. As people want to learn a little bit about me or Deloitte, I urge you to follow me on LinkedIn. There's a lot of content that I do put out, whether it is podcasts such as this or just perspectives that I have on the ecosystem, whether it's in healthcare or just broader. So that's one. I also urge people to read Deloitte's point of views and perspectives in the healthcare ecosystem. There's a lot of fascinating things that we're doing in terms of the impact that we're driving for our communities. I would definitely urge folks to look into that as well. And lastly, we're always looking for bright minds to join our organization and have a great career here. I really do feel, and I increasingly feel this every year that I'm at Deloitte, that we do a lot of great things and we do a lot of great things because of the talent that we have. And you can go into Deloitte.com, look at the different jobs that are available as well. 
And I urge you to apply for one of them. And it's one of the most fascinating organizations that you can be part of. And I know I'm a little bit biased, but I do urge listeners to check it out for sure. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for joining us on the show today. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine, Laura. And everybody else out there, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode if this is your first time joining us. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes as we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.